Welcome to Talk at 10, your weekday interview program. I'm Kay Yolland, your host for this episode, and today I'm joined in the studio by Elizabeth McNutt, the director of Sounds Modern. The Chinati Foundation has invited Sounds Modern of Fort Worth to present Neighbor Notes, Modern Chamber Music by Mexican Composers. This is a live performance taking place today, Thursday, August 28th, at 8 p.m. at the Crowley Theatre. This event is part of the museum's ongoing Chinati Presents series, and it is a free event and open to the public. The performance will be followed by a public reception with the musicians at the theatre. So welcome, Elizabeth. Thanks for coming in today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, tell me a little bit about Sounds Modern and how you formed. Well, I've for a long time cared really deeply about visual art, but I'm a musician. I'm a musician who specializes primarily in music by living composers. And so when I would go to modern art museums, I would feel a sense of what music might take place in these spaces. And I felt that modern art audiences would really appreciate the music I play, whereas some classical music lovers might find it a little strange. Do you mean the venue would be strange no, for them? No, they or find the music the, the strain. Uh, because it's different. I mean, it's out of a tradition coming from Bach and Mozart, but the composers are alive today. And so they're, of course, very often using sounds that are maybe unusual in the classical canon. So I started thinking modern art lovers are so open to new and exciting experiences. This would be a great place to do my kind of music. So I eventually... I started a series when I lived in Colorado called Atomic Clock Music Events, and we were housed at the Boulder Museum of Contemporary Art. And then when I moved to Texas, I think it didn't take me very long, I approached the Fort Worth Modern. with an. They were doing an exhibit that had Rothko, and Rothko and the composer Morton Feldman were great friends, so I just immediately thought, I need to get the Feldman in there, and they were open to it, and that was sort of the start of the series. Does that mean you actually performed in the Rothko rooms? Or? We ended up not doing so because they were worried about just the layout of where the paintings were and having audience maybe bump into it and they didn't want to move the piano. So we were actually in the auditorium, but we were in conjunction with the exhibit and people are invited to go to the exhibit before or after. And typically with each program, I would write a sort of essay connecting the art to the music that I chose. In the future, would it excite you to persuade museums to let you perform in the space? Absolutely. And I've done that sometimes. And at Boulder Museum of Contemporary Art, we that was our usual MO. And actually, we're working on a future project with Chinati to do that. And in those cases, do the audience members sit on the floor, perhaps? Or is it a still an auditorium space within the structure of the museum? In, the, in those cases, they typically can sit or they can stand or walk. I think the last concert I did at the Dallas Museum of Art, it was one where we were in the center of the exhibit and people wandered around. Well, let's talk about all the potential for that in a minute, but let's think about Chinati Foundation and why here. I guess the fact that you, you're working with Mexican composers and we're 45 minutes from the border might have been one of the reasons to make this work here. Um, I think so. Uh, Sounds Modern played here in December. And so we played a piece by Morton Feldman, a standalone piece. And so I was talking with the people at Chinati about what future things we could do. And this was just a program that interested them. We performed a similar program in Fort Worth because they had an exhibit featuring contemporary Mexican artists. So I'd curated this concert around that exhibit and we've been kind of taking it on the road. We fell in love with the pieces. Who's in the concert tonight? Well, I'm a flutist. I'll be playing. Uh, we, my assistant director of Sounds Modern is a violinist. He'll play in one piece. And also my pianist, Shannon Wetstein, and I should say the assistant director is Andrew May. So it's flute, violin, and piano today. And are you always three or do you sometimes expand into larger? We um, frequently expand. 
And how do you find those people? Are you looking for musicians that are particularly open to this way of working? Or would you actually often just take any, you know, high standard musician? I generally look for people that I think will enjoy working on the music and that will enjoy working with, because we want it to be fun. Sometimes you're working with composers that have already made the music for you to work with. Are you also working on improvisation or creating your own pieces? Yes, and we commission pieces as well. One of the pieces that we'll play tonight, um, the Hurtado piece, Jose Luis, I don't know him. I've never met him. We've only emailed, but he actually wrote a piece for us to play on that concert we did last fall, and so we're playing that piece tonight. It's coincidence. He titled these very short separate movements with the date that he finished the piece and one of the movements Shannon noticed yesterday was dated 828 so the piece was completed exactly a year ago today. Oh I love that that's nice (laughs) there's a a little birthday for it. Exactly. It's first year. Well I know that classical music in Mexican culture seems to be less known out here and it seems to be Mexican music in other genres are more heard of and celebrated. So was that one of the reasons also why you were bringing classical music? Yes, I was really astonished when I started researching the program at how difficult it was for me to find repertoire. Let's say if I want to do a concert of, say, German composers or uh, even Australian composers, in libraries and publishers, it's widely available to find pieces by living composers. Here, I had to do digging and detective work and a lot of, okay, you don't have a piece. I, I would write a composer, introduce myself. They would not have a piece appropriate to our instrumentation. Do you have any friends or students or teachers or anybody you can recommend? And it was sort of a word of mouth accumulation of pieces. So how many pieces are we going to hear tonight and how did you find them? We'll be hearing six pieces. So there's six stories. Yes, six (laughs) stories. Oh, maybe I should make the most interesting ones. But the first piece is by Mario Levista and he's sort of the greatest known living composer of Mexico. So he's sort of old guard, quite a bit older than most of the composers I'm performing. And I had met him a few years ago when he came to visit uh, the University of North Texas where I teach. And so I knew that piece. And so from then on, I just started asking, I think I even asked him, but he didn't get back to me for a while. So I asked any composer I was just in touch with, and I'm in touch with a lot of composers on a regular basis, I have to program a a concert of Mexican composers. Do you know anybody? And then I knew a few names just off the top of my head. So I started just researching from there. And then I'd start contacting them and asking them, and can you send me scores to look at? Because again, not being in libraries, how am I supposed to know what the music is unless it's on their website or if they send it to me? So that was a big problem. I mean, you said you've had to go through multiple uh, routes, I guess, but do you have music schools out there that you can contact in Mexico? Are you looking particularly in the north or the south? Is there a geographical spread? There might be. I'm not aware of it. I did look at just some sort of random lists. I happen to know a musicologist who is of Mexican descent, and she... I think did her dissertation on La Vista's music. So she pointed me to a few composers, but in general, I maybe didn't like their work and they did or it wasn't suitable or they didn't have, maybe they only wrote large orchestral music and were a small chamber ensemble, so it wouldn't be appropriate. Eventually, she introduced me to Hurtado and I wrote to him and he recommended two composers who were both, both had pieces on this concert. And then he also said, I listened to your, your 
uh, excerpts of your playing online. I think you guys are amazing. Can I write for you? And I said, I, I have no money to pay you. And he said, that's okay. So we got very lucky with that. And do you think you'll work with him again? I hope so. How does it work, classical music, as far as in the culture of the day-to-day life in Mexico? Is it celebrated or is it a music that's very much on the fringe of that society? I suspect that this particular brand of classical music is on the fringe because it's sort of on the fringe everywhere. And you have some music, I think, for us. Can we yeah, hear Yes, so hopefully it'll work. It's, it's yeah, uh, fingers a, crossed. a short excerpt of the Hurtado piece and the name of the piece is Transmutante. And it's just a little excerpt, though this is a performance with percussion and unfortunately we won't have percussion in our performance tonight. And it'll be different tonight anyway. It's a piece where there's a lot of improvisational aspects and where the performers can decide the order of the movements and and the pacing and what pitches we want to play. And so it, it's in a, we'll be playing it tonight, but it will be a different piece tonight. For listeners just joining us, this is a Talk at Ten interview programme. We're talking with Elizabeth McNutt, the director of Sounds Modern. She will be performing modern chamber music by Mexican composers tonight at 8pm at the Crowley Theatre. Elizabeth, can you tell me more about what we just heard and how that arrangement is kind of constructed? What you just heard was a excerpt of a piece by Jose Luis Hurtado, and it's called Trasmutante, and it's a piece in which... It's written as a sort of set of miniature pieces, each about one to two minutes in length, that are to be played in any order, or we can even choose to omit some, but to be played continuously. The notation of the pieces is, how should I say this, highly open. So it would often graphic in appearance or just suggesting hints of more about the interaction between the instruments than what we are specifically to play. And given that the arrangements of these miniatures can be moved around 
from the perspective of the composer, what are they thinking they're going to allow to create? Because I'm imagining some composers would really want to control the beginning, middle and end. And this is um, kind of reminds me of like Fluxus Art or John Cage or something where there's a little bit more in the audience or the performer's take on a work, which means that the the composer or the director really loses some control over that. Well, absolutely. I, I can't speak specifically as to what he was interested in, but I know he was very intrigued by the, the possibility of engaging us as creative entities in the realization of the piece. And how did you take this on when you first got it? Is there a lot of rehearsals with work like this where you try 10 different formations I mean it starts to become like a mathematical equation to me where you're like where do we put you know different parts of the puzzle do you start with it in the order he presented and then go okay let's take two out in the middle bring it to the front and then go oh no no, that doesn't work either pretty much we started since they're individual movements we started playing them as individual movements so just playing it rehearsing it getting it together and then after that, started thinking about, well, what kind of energy flow do we want to create? This one might be a good contrast next to that one, or should we flip them? And then you just try it, and you try the connections, too. Since he wants it played without without a stop between the movements, that became a consideration of how do we end one and start another in a fluid way. Do you need a conductor for something like this to keep you all together, or are you all holding this in in your brain your memory we we do a lot of cueing so we conduct it the pianist and I I think primarily take turns leading it and we actually write that down in our parts who will be cueing what what we call a gesture or, or section who's going to cue a cutoff what's going to happen who's turning pages where so we know not to get in each other's way and as far as visually trying to uh, work this out, when you say you realize this one would be a great contrast or this would be a great kind of liaison to the next section, do you get out a blackboard or a, a you know, large white piece of paper and start kind of drawing them all out? Or does it just happen there with the, with the book of music? Well, since they're loose pieces of paper, we actually emailed them as PDFs and they were teeny tiny and I had to <laughs> blow them up because we're reading Actually, the piece has an open instrumentation or relatively open meaning. He wrote for other instruments that could be there but don't have to be there. So in some of the movements, there are two woodwind parts, two string parts, a percussion part, a piano part. And so we have all of that information, but you have to kind of ignore some of it because you want to just listen out for what's being played, right? So I think what we ended up doing was the low-tech version of what you just said, where we actually just made a space on the floor, laid the sheets out, and then I numbered the pages consecutively so I wouldn't mess it up. And as far as, um, I guess, continuity with a work like this, do you manage to fix it, or would every performance be slightly different? I think within each movement, the performance will be different every time because we'll make different choices. Since he doesn't specify play B flat here or, you know, even down to pitch what we should play, he might say make a loud, airy sound from far away, but he doesn't tell me how to do that. So and you don't decide ahead of time with the group. Not you allow that to actually develop in the kind of evolution of that performance. Mostly. There are a few places where 
say the violin is instructed to match the pitch as me. So in that case, I might say, he'll ask me, what are you going to play? I don't want to be guessing because we have to do it at the exact same time. So in that case, I'll write a note to myself to play a certain note. Or as I noticed yesterday with page turns, I need to make sure in some places I'm playing notes that I can do with one hand only so I can turn pages while playing. There's a lot of multitasking Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, but I like to leave, when a composer invites me to engage with the piece in that way, I like to leave a lot open to the moment. And as far as the other pieces go, is this quite uh, similar to what listeners will hear during the night with the other five or a huge contrast? I would say it's very contrasting. I mean, it might be a similar sort of aesthetic in that it maybe won't sound like Mozart. So if you're expecting a traditional, say, flute and piano recital and you listen to a lot of Bach, you, I mean, I love Bach. I play Bach every single day, but this will sound sort of different. But in another sense, every one of the pieces is slightly different. The first piece, the one by Mario Lovista, is based on the, well, I should say, inspired by the Degas paintings of ballerinas. So it's very rhythmic, and it's you can almost see the dancers spinning around. It's very pictorial. We have another piece by Arturo Fuentes. It's called Omaggio, a lullaby for sleepy monsters. And it very much evokes an I would say a strange mood, unlike any other piece I've done. And it has lots of instructions where notes should be disappearing. And he wants a very ethereal and far away in some places or very ominous in other places. And then there's a solo flute work um, and then a solo piano work. And those two are completely different. The piano work has elements, I think, of some, I, don't know, I would say jazz and other sort of popular musics in there. Whereas the flute piece is very abstract and all about, well, it's actually about a painting called Manganese in Deep Violet. And so think it's about bringing out those colors but musically bringing out those colors I think I should add if anybody's listening from far away right now and thinking gosh I would love to hear this but I'm not anywhere near Marford tonight that the performance will be streamed on Chinati's website live from the Crowley Theatre beginning at 8 p.m central time so if you aren't in the area it is still possible to tune in and do you have a lot of this music on your website or do you have a cd if people did want to listen to this over and over again we have some excerpts on our website, and I think we'll be working on getting some more excerpts up. And hopefully, Chinati at some point is planning to archive this and have it available eventually. I'm, I have a few questions, actually, from what you just said mm -hmm. about what we're going to hear tonight. One was that reference to dancers and movement. And I'm thinking, maybe you've worked with performers before. Do you like working with, with something moving around you, or do you tend to work in isolation as far as just the music? I personally prefer working more in isolation with the music to have it stand alone as its own thing in a way that we would look at the judge sculptures as a, an experience. Though I have had dancers, one dancer in particular has choreographed many recordings of mine. And so she'll play my CD and she has dance, and she even made a movie out of one. So I know that there's, there can be great crosstalk between dance and music. But for me personally, I haven't had a lot of experience working in that way. And also early in the interview, you mentioned going to art galleries and you see images and it produces thoughts of music. I'm wondering if it works the, the other way around for you. Do you ever get given some music by a composer and images come to mind and you think, oh, I'd like to hunt that out to maybe create that link? For I think my personal theory, and this is really getting to some, maybe even my teaching theory, is that everyone feels music in a different way. And so I have students who are highly visual. I am not highly visual. Like when I'm playing a piece, I tend to go more into emotions or imagining 
fictional dialogues. Does that make sense of where it's about the energy flow and the emotion behind the energy? So when I was first starting out as a flute player and I would have a teacher say something about, oh, it's the deer is at the babbling brook and the birds are flying, I I would just sort of think, what? Because I just don't think that way, but I have students who do. So what I say to them is just you go to where you can get the most expression out of your playing. And if it's emotion, which is what it is for me, that's where I usually go. And what is your background before you started teaching? Are you coming from a, a music history background or did you come with a huge amount of training towards this area? Both. I am a conservatory brat, as we call ourselves. So I was <laughs> really on a track to become an, an orchestral musician, which is what I thought I wanted. I love orchestral music. So I was also trained in Baroque flute, historical instruments. But gradually through my undergraduate, my teacher, who was a symf- major symphony player, he, he noticed, well, how should I say this? He felt that we should become as diversified as players as we could to be in order to be financially successful. <laughs> because music business, like the art business, is not an easy, easy business to make. But, and they know, don't make, tend to teach us that at school, do they? No. How to make money out of creative right. work. So his idea was you become adept at all these different types of music. But towards the end of my studies with him, he said that he thought I had a particular aptitude for contemporary music and that I should pursue that further. I didn't know that was a possibility. So from then on, that's what I I pursued. And how has the response been generally from audiences and museums and institutions to Sounds Modern? With museums, it's been fantastic. It's great. We've performed here now. This will be our second performance here. We perform regularly at the Modern in Fort Worth, and we've also performed at the Dallas Museum of Art. And I am just just thoroughly excited by the response we get from art lovers. And we get music people coming in too, and they maybe like some say some of my students who might come, maybe they wouldn't go to the art museum on their own, but it really opens them up in a new way as well. Yeah, I find it interesting when you work with hybrids or you work with a crossover, whether it's science and the arts or literature and the arts or whatever you choose as your kind of two points of reference, how it brings people that only usually sit on one side of the fence in. They're given an avenue in which to experience something they usually wouldn't Exactly. And what's great, like I noticed this when we performed here last December, is the audience really got it. You know, they were super receptive. People came up to us afterwards and were talking and they really, the people who spoke to us anyway, really were inspired by the music, really got it. And I I loved that. And what were the objectives of that performance that you did? Um, Well, that piece is, the Feldman is an unusual piece because it's about an hour and a half long and it's extremely quiet. And so it's not an everyday experience because it's so, I don't know how to, words can't describe it. It's music. I can't. (laughs) You'll have to listen to (laughs) it. Yes, exactly. Is there a way to listen to it from your um, No, but there should be. I'll get working on that. Okay. (laughs) So watch this space. We do have a Facebook page and we do have a a website, soundsmodern.org is the website. And um, if you want to like us on Facebook, that's great too. And what are your future projects after this? Are you going to take this anywhere else or is it too site specific or... Could you could you take it to the other side of the border? Would you would you like to show it to Mexican audiences? I am working on getting it across the border for sure. I do notice as far as grant opportunities for Mexican arts, they typically want to fund Mexican artists, right? Which is a great thing. But I'm a Texan artist, and so I don't know how we're going to make it happen. We've also made a flute and piano version of this program and we've been playing that around in the upper midwest and i think we have a couple concerts in iowa in the fall where we'll be playing most of these pieces again and then at the museum in fort worth in december we have a concert it's 
the the work I do at the museum is entirely tied to their special exhibits. So that is a great kind of restriction for me as a curator of the concert to what what are they showing? How do I become inspired by that? And it's a really good good one this time. It's um, what's the name of the exhibit? I think it's oh I can't remember the exact name, but it's about art in New York in the eighties. Okay. And so I think our concert will be, we're doing an uptown downtown concert of where we're going to show both sides because during that time there really was a sort of schism developing in New York. So going to have some really good pulse-based music, you know, like Steve Reich or um, David Lang. Would you ever consider performing in two locations at the same time so that you had two audiences like on the east and west and there were musicians on both sides being connected or would that be too kind of multimedia for you? Um, I would consider it, absolutely. We don't have a program like that going right now. I have friends who do a lot of that kind of work but right now, I should say, our, especially for, well, no, I think for all three of us who are performing tonight, chamber music is our greatest love. Yes. So being on stage with a, a musician who we love working with and playing music we love is really such a pleasure and such, it sounds really cheesy to say that I feel really privileged, but I do. And to be back here doing this concert is so great. I've wanted to present concerts here since I visited as a tourist. My, my husband and I were here in 2006, right after I moved to Texas. And we took pages of notes, you know, going to all, seeing all Judd's work and going to all the galleries. And we saw an opening from the Chinati Artists in Residence. We took all these notes about things we thought would be great to have happen here. So to me, I feel like a dream come true. <laughs> that, that's where the words are. Yeah, exactly. Well. <laughs> and... The performance tonight, the music that people will hear, was inspired by the recent exhibition. Um, you may have m- mentioned it briefly earlier, Mexico Inside Out at Fort Worth Modern. Uh, and that was by the curator Andrea Carnes. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Maybe you can tell me about that exhibition. I'm interested. Is that still going on if people were to be traveling? No, I think it closed, was it last February maybe? Were there particular works in that that made you think, I need to go in this direction? Or was it a general feel of of how it was curated? You know, it's really tricky, the timing of how I have to curate this, because sometimes I need to write the press release for their for, for their publicity before the exhibit's even up yet. So what I usually try to do is if they know some of the things they'll be showing, they'll send me pictures or right. even just a list. And then I go doing research and I just start trying to find the artists and see, well, I don't know, the, I can't find the exact piece, but maybe I can look at their other work. And then I kind of go from there. Sometimes it's a backwards thing. And I think in the Mexican concert, it was a little bit where I had already chosen the pieces and then I went to the exhibit. And did they approach you or are you approaching them now? Um, I would say we work together. Yeah. So there's a kind of continued relationship Oh, absolutely, now yeah. It's a series now, and um, it's not a very frequent series because I have a teaching job and a small child. So I hope eventually that we'll be playing there more frequently. Right now it's about twice a year or three times a year. And do you um, have any future projects either in the immediate future or in the next five years? Do you know where you want Sounds Modern to go or just the next project? Well, I'm... Of course, always excited about what the next exhibit will be at the Modern and how I can work around it. Um, I know we are talking with Chinati right now about a improvisation, and it's going to be electronic-based piece in the concrete works. And I don't want to jinx it by talking because since we're still working yeah. out the details, and I think that will probably be next summer. Okay. And I have other pieces in mind that I would love to do here that are environmental-based pieces, which is not. What does that mean? Um, 
Well, there are certain composers who are really informed by the environment or who write music to take place in different environments, like someone like John Luther Adams, who some of his pieces even happen outside, um, or R. Murray Schaefer is another example. Um, and these are pieces that I don't know if a concert hall is their best place. And have you performed outside before? Yes. What do you think of that as far as the challenges? I imagine you've got wind throwing your paper across the, the field. It must be quite frustrating. It's good if you cannot have paper. <laughs> okay, so you have to work from Right, and you have memory. to know the wind direction too because I play a wind instrument where I'm not blowing directly into the mouthpiece like you would with trumpet. I'm blowing across, like more like you would a, a, a Coke bottle. And so if I if the wind comes in a different direction, I can be playing, but no sound will happen. Or if it's really windy... It's it, playing for you. It can make sound for me, exactly. <laughs> so you have two, two um, musicians on the same instrument. Yes. So I, if I'm going to play outside, I really want it to be fully mediated in a way that my, shall we say, my, my past of playing wedding gigs and the, you know, outside was not so good where you have to have certain music at a certain time and the bride's up and you've got to change music and the wind's blowing your stand over. So I prefer not to go there. Okay, yeah, I hope you don't have to do that again. Well, yes. thank you so much for coming in today. We're near the end of our, or at the end of our interview. Is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners about tonight or about Sounds Modern before we close? Um, well, I just would like to encourage them to, um, they could email me if they want to get on our email list. Um, and I think there's a link from our website that's soundsmodern.org for that. Um, and that I would encourage people to come with very open ears because it's going to be probably different than a lot of things you've heard. But I would say that don't if you don't like one piece, don't feel like you need to leave because every piece right. is slightly different. So, I, I mean, it sounds horrible to say something for everyone, but each piece is capturing a different sort of mood and right. a different kind of energy. And I, I look for that contrast in programming. Right. So it'll be a pretty diverse night tonight at the Crowley Theatre at 8 p.m. Well, thank you, Elizabeth, for joining us. Thank you very much. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to your weekday interview program, Talk at 10. You've been listening to Elizabeth McNutt, the director of Sounds Modern, discussing her collaboration with the Chinati Foundation, who has invited Sounds Modern from Fort Worth to present Neighbor Notes, Modern Chamber Music by Mexican composers. This is taking place tonight at 8 p.m. at the Crowley Theatre. It's free. And if you want more information about Sounds Modern, you can go to soundsmodern.org. Or if you need to speak to Chinati about any of their other public programs, you can phone 432-729-4362. Thanks for tuning in.